Turn together to uh, Genesis chapter 12. As we continue through our study of Hebrews 11, which we will get to in a second. But we're going to start off in Genesis 12 uh, because we need to see exactly what is being referred to in Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 11 goes through uh, just quite a few examples of, of people uh, families, uh, whatever, who, who walked with God and lived by faith, the kind of faith that we can learn from. Uh, and so uh, the writer of Hebrews is pointing to all these folks and saying, look, for a long, long time, these are lives that we have patterned our lives after. We've learned from them. Uh, he's passing on uh, these just real like flesh and blood examples of what it looks like to wrestle through um, following after a God that you um, maybe necessarily you can't see him uh, because you would basically explode, apparently, uh, if we actually saw him. And so uh, he doesn't let us see him directly, but we see, we see him at work all around us all the time. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of evidence that's there in the things that we can see, but there's, this, there's an unseen element to uh, walking with the Lord to following af- after Him. Uh, that's uh, an essential part of Christianity. Is there, It's faith. That's exactly what it is. And so uh, God tells us in the Bible that we are to live by faith and not by sight. And sometimes that's real easy and sometimes it's tough. Uh, it's really tough to do. And so here in chapter 11 we see all these examples of people who have done that and ways that we can learn from them. And so tonight and then the next two weeks we're going to look at Abraham uh, because uh, there's just a lot of a lot of things going on in Abraham's life, of course, and then within chapter 11 that will require us to kind of break it up a little bit because I think it's just too much uh, for one night. So we're just going to look at, at the very first things that we know about uh, Abraham uh, here in Genesis 12. If you look at the end of, of chapter 11, we kind of see uh, uh, about Ab- Abraham's parents and grandparents and stuff and kind of how things landed there. But you'll notice that his name is not Abraham. His name is Abram. Uh, Abram will be changed to Abraham at a, a later date, another part in the story. And so I'm just going to call him Abraham. That's okay. Uh, so we won't get nitpicky about that. But, but it's the same person. And so in Genesis 12, we see him for the first time. We're introduced. And the first thing that we find out about him is that this was not a, he was no normal, no normal, just everyday old guy. Uh, there's something real special about him. So let's look and see uh, what happens. Starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot who was his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. All right, so just in those four verses, a couple of important things um, that, that we see. Uh, God has called him to leave, uh, to leave home and to go somewhere 
uh, that God's going to show him eventually. So it's not like it's not like he said, "Hey, I want you to move from point A to point B." He said, "I want you to leave point A, and I'll show you where point B is when when you need to know." Now, the thing about point A is that um, to um, to people who lived in this culture during this time, um, point A was where you found all your identity and all your security. That's what home was for you. It was it was your name. It was your father's name. It was the it was the like the, the land that you owned, the things that you had, uh, the, the things that you were able to protect. Everything about their security and their identity was connected to their family name and the place where they lived. That's how, that's how their minds functioned. And so God was saying, essentially, I, I want you to leave uh, everything that you find your identity in and everything that you find your security in. And I want you to leave point A and go to a place where I'm going to show you uh, to leave Security and go into a place of potential insecurity, at least in the, in the thought pattern of someone who lived in this place at this time. And so that's the main thing is saying, he's saying, I want you to go or I want you to leave. Uh, second thing that he tells him is, is I'm going to establish you as a nation. Like I'm going to start a new nation and you're going to be the dad. You'll be Father Abraham and you'll have many sons. Uh, with right arms and left arms, apparently. And so uh, that's the way that this is going to go. And we know from the end of chapter 11, uh, something that's real unique, is that uh, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish a new nation. You're going to be the father. You're going to have all these kids. And uh, there's going to be a lot of them. But the thing is, uh, he and his wife were further along in years, and they were past the point of having kids, and they didn't have any kids. And so there's a whole other element to the story that... that Gives us a, a deeper picture of the faith, but that's coming next week. Um, but he, he's saying, through you, through your obedience, I'm going to bless the entire planet. Everybody on the earth is going to be blessed through your family and through what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to just going to do some incredible things, um, but now I'm not going to do it at point A. I'm going to do it at point B, and I'll tell you where that is when you need to know. And so those were the that was the big calling, and it says in verse four that he went. You know, he obeyed. And so that's, the, that's what happened. All right? um, so in Genesis 12, we see what happened. Hebrews 11 helps us. It gives us a lot of background information. But what it's, it's really doing is through the, through the Holy Spirit inspiring the writer, we're able to, to know things that you wouldn't know otherwise. We're able to know some things about Abraham's heart and mind and his perspective on things uh, regarding this, that, that actually will give us a deeper understanding of what's going on. So let's go to Hebrews 11 together and, uh, and check out exactly what God wants us to know about Abraham and why. Like, why is he the patriarch? You know, like, why is he Father Abraham? Why, why this guy and what was it? Um, there's a lot of ground that, that could be covered and in order to keep me on track. Um, I've just really just pulled out three, three things. It's going to be uh, three points, and they'll each have one word. So if you like taking extensive notes, I don't have a lot of notes, but I do have three distinct points. So there you go. Uh, plan your bullet points accordingly. Um, there will be three points, and, and it's all going to fall under this, under this umbrella, um, that those who walk with God uh, see things differently. I think that's one of the things that we can learn from Abraham, is that when you walk with God... You see things very differently. Uh, walking with God, we've, in the last couple of weeks, have kind of dug into this a little bit more, but um, I think it's, when, when, when we talked about Enoch, 
like the Hebrew words there describe a a normal everyday lifestyle of like relationship and companionship with God. It said Enoch walked with God, and that wording, that's what it describes. That was just the normal rhythm of his life as he lived in relation to God. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 talks about uh, trusting the Lord with all your heart, not relying on your own understanding of things, acknowledging Him in all your ways, bringing Him into everything that's going on, and, and He'll direct your path. And what do you do? You walk down a path. And so when you're walking with God, you're walking down a path. Uh, Psalm 23 calls it a path of righteousness for His namesake. And so uh, those who walk with God in that way, eventually, sometimes it's real slow, sometimes it's very quick, but you start to really see things differently. Um, your perspective on stuff tends to shift and morph over time. And, and that's something with Abraham that we see. And, and chapter 11 really brings out some, some pretty cool insight as to why, why would he leave point A? Why would he leave his, everything that connected to his identity and security, why would he leave that and go into the unknown of somewhere else, not knowing what's going to happen? Why would he take his family and, all, and his, you know, his nephew and all the stuff that they had and everything? Why would he relocate? Why would he do that? Well, it's because he walked with God and he saw it a little bit differently. Um, so, so three points, but let's read, let's read the account first and then we'll get into those points. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a, out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Let's skip down to 13. We're going to skip over some stuff that we'll get to next week. Uh, 13. These all died in faith. Okay? So he's talking about Abraham, his wife Sarah, uh, kid, uh, their kid Isaac, grandkid Jacob. Um, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Let's go back to verse 8. So those who walk with God see things differently. All right, here's, here's one thing, that the first word in the first point. Uh, the first word is just story. Story, that's it. Um, that there is a greater story being written, being told, uh, than, than just the one that you can see, uh, you know, based on like our limited bit of you know, knowledge. Look at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Um, So when it says that by faith Abraham obeyed, just look at that first part. Uh, That's incredibly important because that tells us something that we really need to keep in mind. That he, he legitimately believed that God was telling him the truth. 
Like he really, like his obedience and his faith were tied together. Like he really trusted that God was telling him, hey, I want you to leave all this and I'm going to take you somewhere and I'm going to establish this great nation and through you the entire earth is going to be blessed. Even though, even though you're like past the point of having kids and you don't have any kids, and even though there's probably all this kind of stuff, whatever, I'm going to do something huge through you. And Abraham, by faith, obeyed. Like he believed God. Um, that, seems, that seems kind of simple at first. But you think about how difficult that must be. Um, you think about in, just in our own lives how often we really want to believe Him, but we don't really fully like, believe Him about some things. Whether it's how He's leading you, or maybe your family, or uh, maybe it's our church, you know, whatever. Maybe it's all of humanity, you know, there's just some times when we kind of struggle with that. But uh, he, he truly believed what God was telling him, and what God was promising him. And that led to his obedience. So you look in the first part of that verse, by faith Abraham obeyed. Faith and obedience are, are they're like directly tied together. They're directly tied together. And true faith leads naturally to obedience. That's how it works. And when you really believe something or someone, uh, you naturally, it like leads very naturally to action. So you, uh, you truly believe that when you came in and you went to like sit down on a pew, you, you believed that the pew was, was going to be all right, and so you sat down on it, right? When uh, I talked a couple weeks ago about getting on an airplane um, to go to India or South Africa uh, over the summer, and we're going like, we're in the air, like just hanging out for like 15 or 16 hours. Um, but we had faith to believe that that airplane was going to stay up for that ridiculously long amount of time. And uh, to say that we had faith in that was one thing, but um, it led very naturally to the action of walking on the plane and sitting down uh, and taking really good drugs that help you sleep for hours and hours and hours at a time. But it was the action that proved that we really believed that. We could have stood there in the terminal and say, I totally, 100% believe that that plane will stay up the whole time, but I ain't getting on that plane. Well, then we wouldn't have really believed it, right? Well, as we're walking with God, it's the same thing. When we truly believe Him, it naturally leads to action. So for Abraham, he, God said, hey, I want, you to, I want you to leave everything and go over here and I'm going to do something awesome. And he was like, all right. And he called a family meeting probably. and uh, Well, hopefully he talked it through with Sarah, his helpmate first, right? Married folks. And so hopefully that same dialogue was happening first. And then they call the family meeting and then they start packing, packing the camels or whatever it was, mules and stuff, whatever they used at the time. And they're like, all right, it's time to go. And they moved out. So faith, true faith, leads very naturally to obedience. But here's the, here's the thing that I have to keep in mind. It, what I just described sounds playful and easy. I'm not saying that it's always easy. Faith doesn't, all, doesn't lead to obedience easily all the time. But it does ultimately lead to obedience every time. True faith and that's what, that's what we're going for, right? We're, we're going for like, letting, like, joining Jesus and making us into the kind of people who naturally live by faith, who are naturally obedient. And even though it may not happen easily, it's going to happen ultimately. And that's what we want. We want to move, move through the struggling part 
and to get to the ultimate part. Um, look at verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He knew that a bigger story was being written. He knew that it was about more more than just the relocation of his family. He knew it was about more than just the inconvenience of that or the the possible insecurities of, of leaving what's real comfortable moving into what's uncomfortable. He trusted that there's more going on here. Now, sure, he had some pretty incredible insight, right? It's not like God was like, hey, I want you to move from point A to point B, and that's all I'm going to tell you. Sure, God told him more than that and said, and point B is going to be awesome. And God doesn't always do that with us in that, with that kind of uh, specific detail, but, but doesn't he do that with that kind of specific detail? Doesn't he tell us, hey, you trust me, you let me lead you down a path of righteousness? Like the path is going to be righteous. Psalm 23, to chase it further, even if that path leads you through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have anything to fear because I will be with you. My faithfulness and my power, they're going to be a comfort to you if you'll just quit staring down at the ground and look around you and be like, hey, look how everything looks really, really rough, but everything's really like perfectly okay because of who you are in me. If there's a bigger story that's being written, something bigger that's going on. Verse 10, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward. And he wasn't looking down or looking back. He was looking forward to a city whose designer and builder is God. He wasn't bogged down in the details like we tend to get sometimes, you know. Now, I'm, again, I'm not saying that he d- didn't have concerns and fears and worries and that, that he and his wife didn't be like, what about this, what about this, what about this, what about this? And I'm not saying that it was easy, but it was ultimate. That he didn't let all those details and unknown things bog him down because he was looking forward to something greater. That greater story that's being written. Um, I was uh, in college. I was a music major, and um, just was actually kind of came along at just the right time where uh, I was like I was a good. I played the French horn, right? That was my major instrument, and and I was a good French horn player, but I wasn't like phenomenally good. So I was kind of middle of the pack, and I came along at LSU in a time where there weren't a ton of really great French horn players, and so. Uh, I say all that to basically say, like, I got to play with some like, musicians who were awesome. I mean, awesome. And uh, so, and I know, like, some of you, like, come from musical backgrounds and some don't, but I think everybody can, can understand this. There were times when, uh, you know, you would come into a rehearsal, and you're sitting and everybody's warming up, and there are people around you, you're like, you're going to be famous in, like, in your realm of, of playing, and you're going to be famous, and you and I are not going to be famous at this, but... Can you believe we get to be in here, you know? And people are warming up, they're doing all this stuff, and you'd, you'd come in, there'd be a piece of music on, on the, like, stand in front of you, and uh, there were times when you were like, yes, oh, I can't believe we get to play this, this is awesome. But there were times where you're like, I hate this song so much. And 
when I first got, like, got into like, that, that point of, it was my third year of school, when I got into like, the really good like, like wind ensemble and like, orchestra type things, and, um, it was just, if, it, if, if you put a John Philip Sousa march in front of a French horn player, they're just going to roll their eyes because French horn players have the most boring parts of all time when you play a march. Uh, if you play the piccolo or the trumpet or even the tuba or whatever, like they have like all these like fun things, and we're just like playing these like backbeat boring parts or whatever. We hated it. But then you put something else in front of us, and we're like, oh, we're foaming at the mouth. It's like this is this is beautiful. We get to play these big like majestic like movie soundtrack type parts, you know, whatever. And um, that's how that's how I started off. And then I guess like I I was maturing I guess as a person, but also being around all these these really great musicians, I, I kind of started to grow up as a musician. And I started to listen to like, kind of what was going on across, across the orchestra, across the wind ensemble, and started to realize, like, man, there's some, there's some remarkable music happening here. And, uh, and so you'd pull up a piece of music, and then what, things I used to hate, I was like, oh, I, I see how what I'm doing in this, in this march is really helping those people over there just, I mean, put on a show. Um, and so my perspective on that kind of morphed and then it became like even greater when you're like I don't care what I'm playing in this piece of music it could be awesome it could be nothing if I'm contributing to what is happening like we're, we're creating this like beautiful piece of music together if I got to play a background role then that's fine and then it morphed into something even greater where I, there were times where I would sit there and be like I can't even believe I'm in this room you know I can't even believe I'm sitting here with uh, a French horn in my hand at a stand, and I get to be a part of what's happening here. I get, I'm getting to make music with people who, will, who really will be very well-known at some point. They will be professional musicians. I just I can't believe I get to be a part of this. And there were times we would come away from concerts, and you were almost emotional and grateful that you got to be a part of that. And some of you know, you may, that may not make sense, but... There, just, there came a point where my perspective went from worrying about whatever was on the page in front of me. I was just focused on that. And if I didn't like it, I hated it. And if I loved it, then this was the greatest piece of music ever written. And I began to listen across the orchestra and listen across the wind ensemble and look around at the people and listen to the music that was being made and recognize, like, man, there's just something bigger than me happening here. It's amazing that I get to play uh, and be a part of this. And I think there are similar things that happen as we walk with the Lord. I think there are times when it's real easy to get real focused on what you feel like God's calling you to do and what He's doing with you and how that's going to affect you and all the questions that come up and this and this and this and this and this. And I think a part of walking with God is he, I think He teaches us how to listen across the orchestra, you know, and to look around us a little bit more and recognize, like, hang on, there's, there's something beautiful happening around us. That there's a... There is this phenomenal piece of music that's, that's being not only written, but being performed, and we get to play a role in that. And our obedience and our faithfulness to Him is a part of how that fits in. That there's a, this gr- much greater story being written. And we're all here today talking about this because Abraham didn't get consumed with how it Im- impacted him and his family alone. He probably wrestled through those details, but let something greater than that like reign over it. said, even though these things are going to be difficult and, and whatever, I'm trusting that the story that's happening, I'm trusting that the promises of God really are 
there and it led him to be obedient. And so I think that's a, the first thing we can learn from his example is to keep in mind this story. The second, second thing, the second word is homeland. All right, homeland. Look down at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Okay, when it says they died in faith, not having received the things promised, uh, they were the kind of people who didn't have to see it to believe it. They didn't have to see it to believe it. Abraham, Sarah, they didn't have to see the nations being blessed through them to be able to die in faith. And this points, like even farther, this points to Jesus saying they didn't, they didn't even have to see Jesus face to face, in person, whatever, in order to believe it. They trusted that God's going to get this done. God's going to get that, this done. And what makes this incredible is that this is exactly like the kind of people that God's making us into. Um, when you look at the last part of the line, they acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They recognize that this is not home. I'm not talking about like point B, where he relocated them. I'm talking about earth. And not in like a weird alien kind of way or whatever. I'm, that's not what I'm, I'm talking about like this world that we live in is not homeland. It's not our homeland. It's not where we're from. It's not where we're going. It's not where we find our security and our identity. The world we live in, that's, that's not how it works. Look at, the next, look at verse 14. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. All right? People who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. People who speak the language of the children of God make it clear that this is not home. We're, we're strange here. We don't fit in very well. You know? So Abraham and Sarah are like, yeah, no, like God's really, he's leading us to relocate in this and he's going to do all this stuff. Patterns of the world, that makes no sense at all. In the language of the kingdom, it makes perfect sense. So drag that into your workplace. Drag that into your life at home. Drag that into the, like you're hanging out with your friends on a Friday or a Saturday and you're watching the game. Drag that in there and see, see what that looks like. We, we, we don't fit in here. This is not our homeland. And so he's saying, the people who live by faith, people who walk with God, they know that this is not their homeland. Look at 15 and 16. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. He's saying if, if Abraham and Sarah, if they, if they had, had really considered themselves at home on the earth, they would have had the chance to go back. You know? They'd have gone right back to point A. He's saying, no, that's not, that's not how they saw themselves. It's verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They desire a better country, a heavenly country. 
they realize that within that bigger story being written, uh, that that story is about taking this earth, redeeming it, and making everything new. Okay. Now, before Paul's letters and before Jesus' teaching, this is the like the spirit of God. It's almost like had just like dropped this into them, and they really trusted that. Okay, when God says I'm going to bless everybody on the planet, like every Every family, every nation is going to be blessed through your family line in this new nation I'm going to make. And you're like, oh, okay, so, so this isn't it. You're going to make everything new somehow. So they lived in such a way where they're like, this is, this is not my home. I don't live here. And I think that's, a, that's such a challenge because the world that we live in feels so comfortable to us. And I was thinking, like, I've, I've been able to do, like, some traveling around the, the planet. And at no point, whenever you're somewhere else, and those of you who have been in, in other countries and stuff, you know, you, you can relate to this, I'm sure. Like, at first, you, 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 you go somewhere, and you're like, man, that, everything looks different. Sounds different. It smells really different. Uh, they drive on a different side of the road, and they're like, you know, you go to China. Like I was in China, and they're like, you know, here are your chopsticks. I'm like, uh, I don't know how to do these. And like, that's point A. Put them together. You know, whatever. And like, I don't know how to do that, but they uh, eat with chopsticks. And, and then you go to India, and they just, like it's all like with their hands, you know. And so they're they're uh, you go to China, and they they see you struggling with the chopsticks, and they bring you a fork. And in India, we're like we're trying to we're trying to to learn the scoop method, you know. We're like eating with our hands, and they're bringing us like a spoon or whatever. And at first, you're like, "Thank you," because I really just want to eat. But by the time of by the end of your time there, you're like, "No, <laughs> I'll stick with the chopsticks," you know. Uh, you keep your spoon. I'm good, you know. Like you're wanting you're wanting to go from this is foreign to me to like I want this to be familiar. Like I want to experience the culture here this way. Um, as Americans, like you stick out so much. Like we, we, we look different. We dress really differently. We we talk, you know, like very strange ways. And uh, there are different perceptions all around the world. Like we, we're in South Africa. Like uh, people there, they all think that like they all they think we all live in mansions, and they think we all like know celebrities. So they're like, "What's Justin Bieber like?" You know, like, super cool, I guess. Apparently, I don't know. Uh, and they're like, "Well, you know, have you ever met LeBron James?" And it's like, no. And they look at you like, what's wrong with you? Why have you not met LeBron James? You know, it's like, that's just a perception of America down there. They think that we all live in mansions and hang out with celebrities, and, and we don't. And then you go to other parts of the world, and they think America is like the enemy. And you go somewhere else, and America is where they all want to come, they all want to go to school here, because they think our education system is phenomenal. Uh, there's just all these perceptions globally, but every time you're somewhere else, uh, when you first get there, you're like, oh, I, everything is foreign to me. It's really different, and the longer you're there, you become really, really comfortable with it. And by the end of, of all my trips, like I said, I'm eating with chopsticks or eating with, with my hands, or I'm like wanting to like dress more like them, and, and I'm wanting to learn the language and speak the language. The thing is, no matter how long you're there, no matter how long Preston and Alex are in India, after two years, when they're fluent in Hindi and they know all the customs and everything, and they're able to, they can cook the most phenomenal Indian meal. All these things are there. They're they're not Indian. You know, that's not their homeland. 
It may feel like home. It may look like home. They may want it to be home. But it's not their homeland. Um, and for us, here we are. We're, we're going about our lives, living, you know, whatever. And if God's leading us in certain ways, and we're following Him obediently, that doesn't make sense to people who don't know the Lord. It doesn't. But it makes sense if you know where your citizenship lies. If you're like, oh yeah, there's a greater story being written, and this is not my home. I have a heavenly home. I have a, a future that is secure. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, uh, and he's coming back to get us, like a faithful uh, husband who will come to take his bride, and it's, he's going to make everything new, and this planet's going to be made new, and it's all going to be uh, phenomenal. And, and it's like all the new earth things that we're talking about, when, when we're living in, we're thinking in a forward way, and obedience fits very naturally into that. So you and I, we will not be obedient. We will not walk with him obediently if we, if we really consider this earth to be our home. But that kind of obedience that comes naturally from faith, uh, a part of that is recognizing, like, yeah, this is, this is temporary, and this is broken. And he's using us to to bring forth the message that there is a greater city to be made, that he is building us a home and he will take us there, and that we can live that life now. It's not just future, it's also present. And so if you want to walk obediently, we've got to keep in mind this is not home for us. So there's a greater story. This is not our home. But we have a greater country, a greater homeland. Our citizenship has been changed. And uh, the, third, the, third one, the third one is uh, air. Not like air you breathe, like H-E-I-R, air. Look back at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He was going to a place that he was going to receive because he was an heir. Verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. If we lose sight of the fact that we are children of God, and that there is an inheritance that is coming our way in in that true homeland, in the, the great apex of the story that's being written, if we lose sight of who we are as his sons and daughters, then we get bogged down in the details. And we struggle with obedience and we resist what he's leading us to do. But when we keep in mind, like, oh, I'm an heir. He has changed my name. He's removed the heart of stone, given me a heart of flesh. My identity is new. He's relocated me to a new homeland with new security, new identity. I'm an heir. Then you're going to act like an heir. Abraham acted like an heir. An heir of the promises that are coming from God. He knew there was a bigger story being written. He knew that this was not his homeland anyway. So if God wants to relocate him, alright, cool. God wants to do this with your life? Okay. If God wants to um, do this or 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 this, when you remember a greater story, greater homeland, I'm an heir, everything's going to be okay, then it naturally leads to obedience. Um, 
I want to close. You don't need to turn to it. I want to read 2 Corinthians 4, 16. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. It says, Though we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for uh, Paul's perspective that he shared with the church in Corinth. That he was able to to keep those greater things in mind as you were leading him forward. And as, as he pastored this church from afar, he was like, hey, don't get caught up in this stuff that's just temporary and transient. And God, I know sometimes we're looking at things that you're leading us into and What's temporary to you looks like, you know, decades long for us possibly, but in light of the greater story and the better homeland and the fact that we are heirs of those promises, it's, it's just, it's a moment in time. So God, we need your help to have that kind of perspective on things, on the difficulties that we're facing those in this room who are walking into stuff, they're, they're just hating it, struggling so much, unsure what to do and how things are going to turn out. I've got to ask that you would encourage them, that you would use the example of Abraham to just whisper, whisper to them that, hey, it's, it's okay, it's going to be fine, just, just trust me, just follow me forward. Don't forget who you are. Remember, you're an heir. You're an heir of all the promises and all the things uh, that you're hoping for and all the things that I've promised. You're, you're my child. I'm writing a bigger story than maybe you can see right now. Just don't forget this isn't home. This isn't the final word. And pray, Father, that... Abraham's example would be an encouragement to those, God, to all of us, those who are walking right now in just great times of victory and fruitfulness. Those folks would keep in mind these things as well. And pray, Father, that as we sing, that you just minister to us through the truths that are being sung and through is the presence of your spirit here and by the fellowship that that comes from just knowing that when we stand we're none of us are in this alone uh, we thank you for putting us in community together with each other uh, so pray father you'd use these songs to help bring some uh, some comfort and peace uh, through uh, seeing things through the lens of, of just great truth we pray this all in your name amen All right, let's stand and sing a little bit.